Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. So good to have you here with us today. Really means a lot that you're hanging out with us. Got a great show for you today. Got a great guest. Got a great interview. Hey, before we get into that, I do want to let you know, many of you know that my career for the past several years has been as a full-time speaker. So I travel all over, primarily the U.S., speaking at a lot of different events. And I've spoken to audiences of just a handful. I've spoken to audiences as big as 13,000. So I've had a really, really great time making a living doing this thing that I really, really love and I'm really, really passionate about. And naturally, I get a lot of questions from people like yourself who are interested in speaking. So whether you want to be a full-time speaker or whether you would say, hey, Grant, I'm interested in speaking, but I've already got this business going or I got something else on the side, I would love to just do a handful of speaking engagements a year. I want to help you get going because so many times people are like, I want to speak. I just have no idea how to even get started. So we are doing a free webinar next Tuesday. It's going to be March the 3rd, all about how to get booked and paid to speak. So if that is you, I would encourage you to sign up for that. You can go to grantbaldoncom slash webinar. Again, that's grantbaldoncom slash webinar. Totally free webinar. We would love to have you come hang out with us. Come join us. I'm going to teach you all the ins and outs of how to get booked and paid to speak. All right, let's get to today's guest. We got my buddy, uh, Chris Ducker hanging out with us today. Chris is kind of an online entrepreneur. He's had his hand in a bunch of different things. He's also, he does a lot in the virtual kind of outsourcing world. Uh, and that may be something that you've heard of him from. He has a book called Virtual Freedom. That's an excellent book you might want to check out. But with my uh, conversation with Chris today, we talk a lot about how you recognize your skill set, figure out how you could best apply that skill set. One of the things we also talk a lot about is what do you do when you, you make a lot of money, but you hate your boss? You know, I know some of you may be in that spot. So that was a spot that Chris was in. So we have that conversation as well. We also talk about how do you decide between being an entrepreneur and being an employee. You know, I've been both, Chris has been both. So we talk about the pros and cons and how do you choose which path is going to make the most sense. Also, make sure that you stick around for the bonus material. You can go to grantbaldoncom slash Chris Ducker and you can find more information on the bonus material. Or if you want, if you're listening to this from your app, right at the top of the app right there, right at the top of the show notes page, there's going to be a link where you can, in a box there, you can download the bonus material. Get a few more minutes of a conversation I had with Chris. One of the things we talk about in the bonus material, we talk about how do you choose between passion versus profit. How do you choose which one to pursue? You know, what if you make a lot of profit, but you aren't really passionate about what you're doing? And what if you're really passionate about something, but you're not really making any profit? So how do you choose which path makes the most sense? So we talk about that in the bonus material, but let's get into it. Here's my interview with my buddy, Chris Ducker. Enjoy. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my brother from another mother, Dr. Chris Ducker. How you doing, buddy? I love the doctor thing. That's so good. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing quite well, man. Good to chat with you. I, I feel like I should be a doctor. I should be a Dr. Ducker. You're absolutely right. You really, it just rolls off the tongue. A doctor, doctor, doctor. It almost sounds, it sounds sophisticated, but it also has like a cartoonish character to it. There you go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that means. All right. So you got your hand in a bunch of different stuff. We've been chatting and gabbing like a couple schoolgirls before here, but you're an author, you're a speaker, you travel all over the world and have your hand in a couple different businesses. So give us the cocktail party introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah. You know, at the very core, I'm just a sales and marketing guy. That's honestly what I am. Yeah. I've been in sales since I was 17 years old as I started part-time on the phone 
selling classified ad space for a magazine called Auto Trader, where it's like a, it was a weekly newspaper style thing where people would try and sell secondhand cars and motorbikes and boats and whatnot. But yeah, that's at the very core of the sales and marketing guy. But obviously, as time has gone by, I've you know said goodbye to the corporate world. Um, I actually wrote my last ever resignation letter at 37,000 feet and hit the send button the moment I landed in Hong Kong. That was the last job I, I ever had. And since then, I've been an entrepreneur. That was in you know 2000, been an entrepreneur ever since. And yeah, you know, bottom line is I, I'm like any other entrepreneur. I work hard, I hustle up, and I provide solutions to people's problems. And it's really that simple. Nice. Very good. And I'm sure we'll get into the 37,000 foot story. But let's start with, so you grew up in the UK, right? Correct. London. All right. So what was life like growing up for you? What was it that you wanted to do? I was a pretty good boy, student-wise, until I hit my kind of (laughs) mid-teens. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) And then I discovered the love of skateboarding, basketball, and girls. And it all went, yes. (laughs) And it all went a little, as we were saying in London, it went a little pear-shaped at that point. But no, I I was just a, a regular dude. I didn't sort of get into too much trouble. I kept my nose clean and but you know the moment I hit those mid-teens all the studies went out the window and all the rest of it and I was I was actually failing I was failing pretty much across the board at school and you know the equivalent of the high school diploma or or whatever it is you guys have over there in the US Mm -hmm. in the UK at that point was the GCSE exams which we had to do when we were 16 and so if you fail those you can't do your A-level exams, which is what you need to get into university or college, right? And so I remember actually I came home. My dad was not a philosophical guy at all. He was just very working class. He was an architect, worked for some big, big firms in London, very, very working class kind of guy. But I'll never forget this because he came home one day when I was in the middle of my exams and I knew I was failing already. And he had it stuck one of his business cards onto my bedroom door. And on the back of it, it said, the way to be nothing is to do nothing. Wow. And I never, I actually had that card in my wallet until I was about 28 or 29 years old. And I lost my wallet in the back of a taxi in Manila here in the Philippines. And I was gutted because of the card, not because of anything else that was in the wallet, because, you know, I'd had it for that long. But that actually was the, the little kick up the butt that I needed to turn things around. And I ended up passing almost all of my exams, but the ones that I knew I'd already screwed up, I had to go back and take an extra year to retake. So I started my A-levels, which is important in the UK, like really important. Anybody listening in from England knows how important they are. I started them a year later than most of my friends, and then I quit a year and a half into them because I just knew that studying wasn't going to be my thing. So I didn't do college. And my dad was very upset with me, as you can imagine. But I went out and started learning the sales craft, and the rest is a little bit of history. The way to be nothing is to do nothing. Why was it that that... I mean, because parents say all these like parentisms, and you and I have used them ourselves with our own kids. Right. But why right. was it that that stuck with you so much? I don't know, because I was doing nothing. Like I think it was just like it was obvious that he'd susted me out. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was totally busted. I mean, I was. I, you know, I was a 16-year-old punk. You know, yeah. I, I was skateboarding to and from the house and the, and the b-ball court and flirting with girls and, you know, watching, you know, VHS, you know, movies of Bruce Lee and, 
you know, what I should have been doing is had my head in a book in a library somewhere getting ready for the exam in 48 hours. And I wasn't doing that. I was a complete, you know, I was a bum for that whole year. I was a bit of a lost cause, but he, you know, Mum and Dad, they never gave up on me like most good parents won't. And so, um, yeah, it was. I, I think what it was was the fact that he had totally busted me. He knew I was bumming off and he knew that, you know, I was on my way to Loserville. So, um, yeah, and we never even talked about it. Yeah. That was the thing. Like It was just the card on the door. He didn't have to say anything to me. That was enough. Interesting. So you have that experience that kind of has that light bulb epiphany moment. Yeah. Uh, but even, you know, you don't carry on to the college or university. What at that point was kind of your plan? What were you hoping to do with life? Make money. Plain simple. Yeah. I found out, you know, 17, 18 years old on the phone. I, I was working two or three jobs at the time. I was doing that during the day. I was an assistant coach at the local YMCA for basketball, which wasn't really paying a whole lot of money. It was still a job back in them days. And then I was tending bar three to four nights a week as well. And, um, you know, when you're 18 and you're making, you know, 12, 13, 14, 1,500 pounds a month, that's a lot of money, yeah. uh, even, even more so back in those days. And honestly, you know, I knew within a year that I was born to sell, plain and simple. Like I knew that I could sell. And by the time I was 21, I was outselling most people in the company I was working for. By the time I was 22, I moved to Hemmings, which is a big, big international firm, publishing firm in London. They're based just around the corner from the old MI5 building that you saw blown up or is it mi5 or mi6 building that got blown up in the james bond movie a while ago and you know at that point it was game on plain simple and i went into that company and won salesman of the year first year i was there and then won it the next two years in a row and by the time i was 25 i was managing people in their early 50s yeah it was quite embarrassing for a lot of people. <laughs> but my focus really, honestly, was just to make as much money as I possibly could. And I got married for the first time when I was pretty young. I was 21. And you know, it didn't work out. But I was always, and I still am, very, very acutely aware of the fact that you know I'm a provider as a husband and as a father. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to provide. I wanted to make money. Yeah. Well, I think I like that you identified and recognized the sales skill so early in your career. Because I think for some people who maybe listen to this, they're going, I don't don't know what I'm good at, or I have some idea of what I'm good at. I have no Mm -hmm. idea how that translates. Because something like sales, I mean, the nice thing with sales, if you can sell something, you can find a job anywhere. And so there may be people who are like, well, I'm really, I'm really compassionate, or I'm really good with people, or I'm really good with kids, or I'm very good at communicating or speaking. And you start with this kind of this big picture thing. So in your case, I'm really good at sales, but sales could look a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. So how do you begin to kind of hone in and figure out like there's one type of thing you could be selling, which may just do nothing for you. And then you could sell some totally different product or service and be totally stoked about it. So how did you kind of figure out what was the right fit for you? Well, I mean, you know, we were a B2B company. So, you know, I discovered pretty early on that I could sell business owners and to other businesses easier than consumers at first anyway. Yeah. And it just became very, you know, it became very easy for me. And I realized that, you know, there are certain things that I would say on the telephone or in meetings or, you know, on conference floors or whatever that would just resonate with business owners. And I think, you know, that was, you know, looking back on it now, that was obviously my first kind of flirting with entrepreneurship i think you know getting inside the head 
of other small business owners, even though I wasn't a small business owner myself. But I knew how they thought and I knew what their pain points were and I knew what their problems were and, and I knew how to not necessarily provide those solutions to them because there's a hundred million problems that entrepreneurs have, but that's a number, 100 million. <laughs> there you go. Um, but no, but more importantly, I knew how to present the solutions to their problems to them in a way that would enable a sale to take place. Like, how did you even know that you're good at that? Because I think sometimes, you know, the thing that's right in front of us, that's obvious to everyone else, you're an amazing salesperson, you're an amazing speaker, you're an amazing leader, you're an amazing whatever, fill in the blank. And what everybody else may see, we're just naive to because it works right on top of us. So how was it that you recognized that you were good at sales? And this is something that came naturally to you? It really came down to the fact that people would say yes, more than no. You know, I would see other people in the office that would have to you know, they'd have to pick up the phone 20 times to make a sale where I'd have to pick it up 10 times, sometimes less. Yeah. You know, when I was at dinner meetings, I would notice that other salespeople within our firm would tense up and just want to keep the conversation quite personal and quite easygoing where I would ask for the bloody order at the dinner table. Like, I mean, like, I don't care. Like, I will sell anyone, anywhere, anytime on anything if I know that it's going to benefit me and them. And so I used to say I was the king at the dinner table, you know. And I really, I think it was the movie Jerry Maguire where he says something along those lines, like, I'm the king of the living room or something along those lines he says in that movie. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me with the dinner table. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, no, I think it really did, honestly... Honestly, Grant, it just came down to just seeing that I was converting more prospects into clients more often than other people around me. And when you're a 22, 23-year-old snotty-nosed kid from London that is outselling guys in their 40s that have been doing it 15, 20 years, you know there's something there. Right. You know, I'm not saying right. I'm the greatest sales guy in the world, but what I am saying is that a lot of sales comes down to confidence. A lot of sales comes down to confidence. And if you fear rejection, if you fear a prospect turning their back on you or putting the phone down on you, then you won't make the sale. But if you have the confidence to go after that sale, more often than not, you'll get it. And I'm not somebody that has a lack of confidence. So I kind of figured it out pretty early on. How long did it take or how long were you kind of climbing that corporate ladder before you got to a point where you were just starting to feel burnout? You're starting to be just tired of the whole game. I would say it probably hit me right at the end of the 90s, 98, 99. I was making good money. I was climbing that ladder. I was doing all that stuff. But it really didn't – it wasn't exciting anymore. It wasn't exciting anymore. It went from me, you know, getting in – like, and and this is serious. You know, it went from me getting in an hour before everyone else just so I could – Figure out ways and welcome to the world of telesales right here. Here's a tip for everyone tuning in if you're in telesales. <laughs> Get in an hour before everyone else. And if you're calling a big company, say the trunk line is 540-1000, right? Instead of calling the trunk line when you know that there's not going to be any receptionist there picking up that phone yet or you're going to hit his voicemail, once you dial 540-1006, the chances are you're going to go to an extension and then you can hopefully get through to the boss 
who doesn't have a gatekeeper in front of him yet, yeah. and so on and so on and so on, right? So these are the little things I used to do. I used to get excited about that. I used to get excited about getting in an hour early and getting past, the, you know, just completely avoiding the gatekeepers to get to Mr. Big and Mr. X. Yeah. And I loved that stuff. And the moment that started fizzling out, I kind of knew that, you know, it's time for a bit of a change. You know, there's an analogy that it reminds me of. I had a buddy who told me this one time. He said, you want to find things in life where the challenge exceeds the skill set. So when you first start, you know, the, the challenge exceeds the skill set. You feel like you're in a small way, maybe you're in over your head. But the longer you do something, then they flip. And so the skill set exceeds the challenge. So then the, right. the challenge of getting past the gatekeeper, of beating the system, of beating the game, so to speak, is no longer a challenge. So then you kind of go on autopilot, you know, and it's something you could do with anything, you know, whether it be for you and I speaking. I mean, you and I, the first time that we got on stage to speak, we're terrified. You know, we, this could go great or this could be a huge disaster and you just don't know. But the longer you do it, the more comfortable you feel. And before long, again, mm-hmm. it's, it switches back and the skill set exceeds the challenge. So you want to find things regularly where the challenge is exceeding the skill set where you're walking into it where you feel like man i hope this goes well i feel like i'm just slightly out of my comfort zone here and hopefully this goes well but it may not so once you find yourself in that spot where you're like i can beat the game with my eyes closed and it's not a challenge anymore what's kind of your next step i think it comes down to asking yourself i think where you really want to be you know what i mean like i remember when I decided that I was no longer really interested in working for somebody else, I knew that I would have to go out and do something on my own. I mean, that was a given. That's the only answer to that, right? But where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing? Uh, for me, it just ended up with me setting up a call center. Okay, And this is not the one that I still currently own and have other people manage for me. But this was my first business here in the Philippines, and you know I ended up selling it a couple of years later. But you know it was what I knew how to do, and that was operate business via the telephone. And so I set up the firm, and we were working with one of the big international banks here, um, handling all of their credit card and personal loan acquisitions locally. And it was great for a year, but then the market started to get saturated, and you know our conversion started to drop because of that. And then we started making less money, and then I decided it was time to sell up. So I sold up and made a little bit of a profit. It's not even worth talking about. There was so little. <laughs> Nothing to brag um, about. No, not at all. But I didn't lose, which is quite rare for most entrepreneurs. <laughs> they usually lose the first time round, right? Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, I kind of – I always remind myself of that fact. I've lost – Plenty of times after, I just want to stay in the fat right now. <laughs> but no, I didn't lose any money. And so, you know, they kind of say, you know what? I loved the buzz of setting up the firm, finding the office space, making the first few hires, you know, putting the marketing in place, watching the website being built, do all these things. I loved all of that stuff. And so it was obvious inside of me that there was an entrepreneur just ready and waiting to rip out. And so um, what I did is I got involved with a business partner purely from a financial perspective with the plan in place very clearly agreement-wise, contract-wise, that I was to be buying him out within a three-year period, one year at a time. And he was getting involved purely from a financial investment perspective and actually ended up buying him out by the end of the second year. But that was for my group of companies today. And so I knew that volume was going to be a big thing. We needed a lot of people to make some good revenue. 
and to bring our costs down as low as possible. And so that's what we did. We built the company. We've got almost 300 employees now. And, you know, and that's just led on to so many other things. Once I truly got involved with the actual outsourcing business and the industry, that took it all up a notch. And that's where, you know, the blogging and the podcasting and Virtual Staff Finder was born. And then obviously the book Virtual Freedom last year. And I'm blessed now to, I really honestly truly believe after all the ups and downs and the ins and outs of everything that I've been through as an entrepreneur and not just as an entrepreneur actually even as an employee for other entrepreneurs and I truly believe I've now eventually finally got to a place where I'm very happy doing what I'm doing how I'm doing it why I'm doing it and who I'm doing it with yeah well, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said as you're kind of wrapping up your time in the corporate world and trying to figure out what your next move is, you knew that you couldn't go to another corporate job. So you felt like your only option was to start your own business and be an entrepreneur. So how do you recognize that? Because I think there's a lot of people that may be in that spot of going, my current job, I don't love, I don't hate. I just know that this isn't it. So I don't know, maybe I enjoy the work and I just need to find a different company to work for doing the same thing and just mm-hmm. a better, more healthy environment. Or I just need to get out of this completely and go a different direction. So, you know, it sounds like for you, you recognize some of those entrepreneurial skills, but you could have just at the same time taken your sales skills that you'd acquired and built and grown over the years and just taken it to a different business and done the, to a different company and been an employee there and done just as well. So what was it that, I don't know, tip the scales one way or the other for you when you're in that kind of a decision point of going, do I go to another company or do I start my own business? Right, you know, and there is nothing wrong. I want to state that for the record. You know, there is absolutely nothing at all wrong with deciding that you just don't want to do it here. Like yeah. you want to carry on working for somebody else. There's nothing wrong with being somebody's employee. Right. Right. Yeah, having a, a job. There's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. That's the path you want to go down. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but I had worked for, you know, I, I'm very lucky to have only really had a handful of jobs. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's bounced around like crazy. And I've had a couple of mentors. One of them was at the large publishing firm I told you about. His name was Graham Bond. No relationship uh, <laughs> involved there with James. But he was the good mentor. He was the guy that taught me how to really tweak that craft and that art of the pitch and the art of sales. And I learned so, so much from Graham, so much from Graham. He passed away a few years ago, actually. I remember getting the call from somebody back in the UK, and I instantly I instantly broke down and cried because it was that important to the way that I developed myself as an entrepreneur and as a man, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Incredible, incredible guy. And so I learned so much from him. But then the last boss I had, which was actually the second really horrible boss, like the second from last boss I had was also a real SOB. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible guy. And But I was making really good money, yeah. <laughs> really good money. So right. you, you eat it up for a bit, right? But then the last guy I was with for a year and a half, two years or so is actually a infomercial company based out of Miami in Florida. And I was in Miami and I was already an itchy feet, man. I just, oh my God, yeah, I got to get out of this. I got to do my thing. I got to do my thing. I got to do my thing. But again, I'm a husband. I'm a father. At that point, I've got two kids. I now have three. I'm a producer and I'm a provider above and beyond everything else. And so, you know, I was making great money and I sucked it up like crazy with this guy. And I was in Miami for an entire month. We were shooting shows. I was doing everything. I was helping write scripts. I was doing voiceovers. 
I was, you know, hiring talent. I was helping to design retail packaging. I mean, you name it, man. It was ridiculous. And on the way back from Miami to here in the Philippines, I was on a Cathay Pacific flight from Miami to Hong Kong for my connection. And like I said, it was 37,000 feet. And I took out my laptop and I started writing my resignation letter. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't even think about the fact that I wanted to quit before I started writing the letter. I knew I wanted to quit. I didn't have to convince myself. Now's the time. You've got to do it now. It, it just it happened naturally. And I wrote the email and I didn't hesitate. The moment I got into the lounge in Hong Kong and I opened up the laptop again, hit the send button. And two months later, I started my first business. And that for me was really the catalyst was just being treated like somebody's general dog's body. You know what I mean? Like you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And then going to a meeting with big clients that I have a great relationship with and not allowing me to get a word in edgeways. You know, all these little things that happened throughout the entire month that I was in Miami. And I want to state actually this guy as a person, really nice dude. Yeah. Incredibly nice man. Very loving and caring for his family. Rich. I mean, stupid amount of money. More money than knew what to do with. Floor seats at the Heat games, you know, VIP, you know, tickets at the pre-Super Bowl, Prince concert, you name it, all that stuff. Yeah. But just a complete nightmare to work for. And so, yeah, I had to move on. And, you know, that was the catalyst. So you send that email when you land, how soon, if ever... And then I instantly you... regret it. No, <laughs> that's, no, that's what I was wondering. Like, how soon do you... Are you having second thoughts or just doubts or just kind of wondering, did I make the right decision? Because I think for anybody, like anytime you're like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm making the leap. Whatever that right. proverbial leap is, going from one job to another, quitting your job, starting a business, whatever that thing is that's risky... I think we all have those moments where you're like, I jumped out of the plane. Now I'm really hoping that the shoot works. I just don't know. I hope it does. I really needed to. But how often were you kind of wondering, man, did I make a right decision? Did I make the wrong decision? I I don't think I ever doubted making the decision. But I, I did question whether it was the right thing to do at that point. About two weeks after I got back from the trip, we found out my wife was pregnant. Hmm. And so then reality kicks in. Right. You know what I mean? I mean? Financially, we were okay. I mean, we had some money in the bank and whatnot. But I mean, you know, when something like that happens, you start asking yourself, man, I just like I was making twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a month with this guy after tax. So, you know, I was doing very, very well financially with this job and I enjoyed the job. I just didn't enjoy working for that guy. And so, you know, it was, I don't think, I never doubted myself making the choice to quit and do my, and start my own thing. But I did ask myself if it was the right time once I found out that I was going to be a daddy for the third time. But that, you know, after three or four months of setting up the firm and going with the business, it was quite obvious I made the right choice. And so today, the business call center, so I'm assuming this is going to be for, is this primarily US-based companies that you're, they're outsourcing their no, calling to? I mean, we work to? with anybody. I mean, we're, you know, 
we're not client prejudiced. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll work with anybody at all as long as they're happy to send us money on a monthly basis. But no, the majority of the the work that we do are for or is for rather um, American firms. Uh, but we also have clients, you know, all from you know Australia, UK, all over Europe, and a few other bits and pieces as well. But yeah, the majority of what we do is the US based. Why was that a business that you wanted to go into? Because you you leave the the corporate world and you you've got blank slate. I mean, you could do you could do anything. Mm. So why call center? Well, I mean, here in the Philippines, the BPO or the business process outsourcing business is huge. It's very profitable. It's relatively easy to set up locally because obviously the government loves all those investment dollars coming in, and you know we get tax breaks within that industry and all the rest of it. So I think it was a smart business move to yeah. get involved above and beyond everything else. But that being said, you know it's not my focus anymore. My focus is on other things now. And so I'm blessed to have that working to the point now where it doesn't really need my input all that much. But you know, it wasn't always like that. Obviously, when I first got started, I was doing all those long days that most entrepreneurs do and making sure things were set up properly. I've got one other question on that note. I want to ask you about how do you balance seeing a business opportunity what may be very lucrative, but it may not necessarily do anything for you in terms of uh, it's not really a thing that gets me anything excited. It's not the type of thing that's going to make me show up an hour early, something that really gets my juices flowing. So I want to ask you about that. But what we're going to do is we're going to save that for a little bonus time. So before we wrap up this portion, where can we find out more about you? Well, everything I do now is on chrisducker.com. And that's my blog, my podcast, my book. Everything is over there. Uh, and if anybody's on Twitter, which they should be, it is 2015 at the end of the day, they should be using Twitter by now. Uh, just at Chris Ducker. Simple as that. Beautiful. And definitely people stop by chrisducker.com. He's got a, a seven-day new business boot camp there that's really good stuff. You can learn just about building a business entrepreneurship, really great free content and info that Chris has given out there. So make sure you stop by, check that out. Also, make sure that you stick around for the bonus episode. we got a couple uh, other questions I'm going to fire, Chris, that you're not going to want to miss out on. You can download that at grantbaldon.com slash chrisducker. So Chris, we're going to see you over in the bonus round, my friend. Looking forward to it. Boom. Hope you enjoyed that interview with my buddy Chris Ducker of chrisducker.com. Hey, as always, if you enjoyed that interview, I'd encourage you to stop by, download the bonus material. So basically, Chris and I, we record the interview that you just heard. Then we hop back on the mic and we were talked for another, I don't know, seven, eight minutes or so, chatted about a couple different things. One of the things we talked about was how do you choose between passion and profit? How do you decide which path to pursue? Is it possible to pursue both? So if you enjoyed the interview with Chris, I definitely encourage you to download that. If you are on your uh, like an iPhone or a mobile device right now, within the show notes of this episode that you may be listening to, then you can go to right at the top of the page there. There's a box asking you if you enjoyed the episode, you can click here to download the exclusive bonus. That's all you have to do. It's going to send you an MP3. That way you can continue listening and continue on in the conversation with Chris. So make sure you stop by and check that out. Hey, uh, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to the show. You can do that with an iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you may be listening to this show. Make sure you subscribe. That way you never miss out on a new episode. We send out episodes every week and I don't want you to miss out on the interviews and uh, the stories and the guests and journeys that we're sharing with you. Hopefully these continue to inspire you and encourage you to stop and figure out for yourself in your own world, are you pursuing work that you love? And if not, what do you need to do to make some type of change, to make some type of pivot, to begin to go in a direction that's going to make a little more sense for you and the kind of life that you want to have? 
Also, if you haven't uh, left us a rating and review within iTunes or Stitcher, we'd love to hear from you. It's always good to know that this stuff is resonating with you. It's also it's a great way for other people to find out about the show. So you can go to, again, grantbalden.com slash iTunes or grantbalden.com slash Stitcher. Leave us a uh, rating and review. We love, love, love to hear from you. That would be beautiful and delightful, my friend. All right, I think that about wraps up this episode. Again, make sure if you are interested in that speaking webinar we're going to be doing next Tuesday, March the 3rd, that you register for that at grantbalden.com slash webinar. Don't want you to miss out on that's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure that you join us there. Hey, as always, feel free to email me, grant to grantbaldwin.com. Hit me up on Twitter at grantbaldwin. Anything I can do to support you as you find and do work you love, just let me know. You're awesome. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.